0: All right, everybody's still hanging in there? Everybody's still here, no one's left yet, that's good. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Actually, your handout has the wrong scripture on it, so I am I do make mistakes occasionally. So it's uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 30 is what we're going to be reading today. But uh, before we get to that, I did just want to mention one thing. We get uh, letters from my BSA on the amount that we give for the cooperative program, and they sent a very nice letter to us uh, saying that for the year 2021, we were number 88 among almost 1,000 IBSA churches in in corporate giving. So give yourselves a... Well, I hope everyone's doing well today. We're going to be in Philippians chapters 1, as I mentioned, starting with verse 15. So we're going backwards just a little bit and picking up some verses from last week. But really, this message today is about reclaiming your joy, reclaiming your joy. Christians are supposed to have a sense of joy, right? And uh, it feels like over the past couple of years, maybe we've lost a little bit of that joy. Maybe I'm just reading things into it, but it seems like in the church in general, not necessarily this church, but the church in general, that there's a little bit of dampening of spirit uh, and little unsureness of where God may be leading us through all of this. And I don't know about you, but me personally, sometimes uh, I think I've not had the joy that I should have. And usually it happens when you have three or four or five things kind of hit you all at once. Have you ever had that? Where three or four or five different things hit you all at once and you're kind of scrambling and you're wondering what in the world is going on and before you know it, you've kind of lost that sense of joy and maybe life becomes a drudgery. Well, that's what I wanna talk about today and first I want to do that by starting out by just reviewing from the last couple of weeks some things that we have talked about. First thing we, I wanna remind you of that we talked about is the importance of Christian fellowship and the fact that Satan would love to kill fellowship within the church, amen? He would love to do that. He would love to keep us from meeting together. He would love to keep us from doing the things that we love together. And he would love to try to kill our fellowship because he understands if I can kill their fellowship, if I can kill their unity, then I can kill the advance of the gospel, which is what we talked about last week. He's, he has a plan to kill fellowship and to kill the advance of the gospel. He does not want the gospel to go forth, but it will, right? Because Satan will not prevail over the church. The gates of hell will not prevail over the church. We have that promise, but promise is one thing we need to put into action that we are not going to let this happen. And then finally, what we'd be talking about today is Satan tries to kill joy in the individual's life and the life of the church. Maybe you've had that happen. I've had that happen different times in my Christian walk, and it never lasts, but it is always a difficult time for me to go through. And so we're going to see today how Satan would try to do that, and we're also going to see how Paul was so victorious over that, that he did not let Satan's attack get him down. And so if you would go ahead and stand by now, uh, we'll be looking at chapter one again, starting with verse 15, so we're picking up a little bit about of what we did last week and adding it to this week. So let's read this scripture. Um, It says, and this is Paul of course saying, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, engaged in the same conflict that you saw i had and are now hearing that i still have let's pray father we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be together we thank you for your word which has been preserved for us we thank you that we have uh, guidance from uh, your word today on what it is like to have a life of joy and to fight for joy and we pray that you would help us to understand this and to see the wiles of the devil, how he would try to steal our joy and help us to be ineffective uh, for the kingdom of God. And we pray against that. We pray that you would give us a tender heart and be able to see the truth of the scripture, but not only see it, but also submit to it and be obedient to it. Help us to be open to your Holy Spirit and help him to help us understand scriptures today. Most of all, help us to be obedient and have a sense of joy that is indescribable and will last through the trials and tribulations of this world. And we ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So kind of my message for today is uh, something It's not on your handout because I left it blank this time, but all things lead to joy when we recognize God is in control of all things. Amen? And you may not understand that, but, and you may understand it, but I think that's true. All things, all things ultimately lead to joy when we recognize God is in control of all things. And so what is joy? How do you describe joy? How do you understand exactly what Christian joy is? Well, it's very closely related to the emotion of happiness, right? When you think of joy, often we think of happiness. We think of people being jubilant and happy and in a good mood. The difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is somewhat uh, temporary, right? It's based upon conditions. So if someone throws you a birthday party, you may be happy because they threw you a birthday party. And immediately, everyone leaves and all of a sudden you're by yourself and you're lonely because that crowd is not there any longer. So happiness is good, obviously. It is somewhat transitory though, which means it can be there or it can leave based upon our circumstances. Joy is something that is much different. It is closely related to gladness and happiness. Although joy is more a state of being than an emotion, And it is a result of a choice. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Having joy is a part of the experience of being a Christian. So where happiness is transitory and dependent upon situation, joy should not be dependent upon a situation. It's going to last through good times. It's going to last through difficult times. Of course, we know that Satan would like to steal this away from us. He would like us to take our joy so that we live the ho-hum Christian lives that uh, sometimes we live. But Paul, he says that he will rejoice. I love that statement in that last part of verse 18 where he says, yes, and I will rejoice. It's It's as though he's saying, I am determined to rejoice. I am determined to be a person of joy. And it's important for us to be joyful because the word of God in Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Isn't that so true? The joy that we experience in the Christian life and the joy that we experience in God is our source of strength. That's where we develop our sense of strength and how we get through difficult times is the joy that we have in the Lord. Uh, We have one thing that the rest of the world does not have, the hope of eternal life, amen? (laughs) We have that hope of eternal life. Whatever we may go through in this life, how difficult life may become, we know and understand that we have eternal life in the life to come that will be perfect, will be without sin, will be without pain, tears will be wiped away, and it will be an incredible experience. And so if nothing else we have joy because of the life to come. We also have joy for this life. Jesus said that this life would be an abundant life, that the thief comes to steal and destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And this is the joy that I believe that Paul says that he will have, he wills himself to rejoice. And he does it even though there's many detractors in, in the scripture that we just read, right? There's many things trying to pull this joy away from him. One of them, first in the first place, is that he's in prison. He is in prison. You would think that would detract from his joy, but no, it doesn't. And we'll see how that happens in just a little bit. Even though others are preaching Christ from impure, impure motives, he still chooses to rejoice. Even though his flesh is prone to fail and to sin, he chooses to rejoice. And even though he might die because of his imprisonment and his witness for Christ, he has chosen to rejoice. Ultimately, he says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So. He has not let Satan come in between him and doing the work that God has asked him to do. You might ask, well, why why will Paul rejoice? Here are some answers for why. Paul will rejoice in his own separate situation. Why should he rejoice when he is in prison? That seems contrary, right? We know that Paul did this. This is not the first time he did that. We know in the books of, of Acts that they were in jail and they were singing hymns together. They were rejoicing in the salvation that they have in Christ even though he was in prison. But we know here as well, going back a little bit to what we talked about last week, but he can rejoice because the whole Imperial Guard has heard about his imprisonment there for Christ. In other words, the whole Imperial Guard has heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and had an opportunity to either accept that or reject that. That's reason for rejoicing, right? It would be reason for rejoicing for us if we could say that everyone in Noble had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, or everyone in Olney had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would that not be a a reason for us to rejoice? I would say, yeah, that would be a reason for us to rejoice. He's in prison. And you wouldn't expect good things like this to happen, but that's the way that our God works and it's another reason why we can rejoice in him. Even though he's in prison, he turned that the other direction and he did something good. He shared the gospel with all the prisoners that were there. This had to have a tremendous effect upon those prisoners, whether they believed or not. They must have recognized the importance of the message of Christ because Paul was willing to share that in prison for which he had gone to prison for preaching the gospel. So he didn't let anything deter him. He didn't let anything deter his joy in knowing that Christ is a savior of the world. He wanted to tell everybody about that. And I believe that the prisoners understood that this is an important message, whether they received it or not. And God is glorified whenever the gospel is preached, amen? Amen. That's one thing we can always be sure about. We can share Christ with our unbelieving members of our family, and we pray and we hope and our desire is that they would repent and turn toward Christ. But even if they don't, that word has not gone out void, and God will be glorified through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of these guards, and it says not just the guards, but all the rest know that he is in prison for Christ and that this is an important message. And in that, I believe Paul rejoices. Paul even says that I will rejoice when others preach Christ, even with ulterior motives other than that of love. We believe that we should, our motive is important, right? We've, I've said that many, many times. The way that we do things, our motive is important. We need to do it out of a sense of love, not out of a sense of uh, compulsion or doing it to earn God's favor. But Paul says, even though these people are preaching with an ulterior motive, I rejoice in that. In verse 18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul rejoices each and every time that the gospel message is biblically preached. And apparently, these people, even though they were motivated by rivalry and maybe greed sometimes, even though they had done that, apparently they had preached it biblically, and in that, Paul rejoices. Paul rejoices also that his flesh will not fail. You have to kind of follow me on this. I hope I can explain this well, but let's look at verses uh, 19 to 21, 22 again. Let me just read that again real quick. Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be shamed But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. And the reason I read that again is because I think sometimes we have a tendency to read through this really quickly because. We love that verse 21, it says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I think Paul shows that there's really a concern here that he might fail in this situation, that he might somehow relent in the message of Christ that he is preaching, that he might come under some kind of torture that will cause him to go against the gospel, But he has has an assurance also in the help of the Spirit, doesn't he? He has an assurance that the help of the Spirit is gonna get him through this situation. And specifically, he says, it's the Philippians' prayers and the help of the Spirit that will turn out for his deliverance. In other words, his, his flesh is not going to fail in this situation because he has the prayers of the Philippians behind him And he has the spirit of Jesus helping him get through this situation. He says, I do not expect that I will be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. And so he's saying, I am not going to recant. I am not gonna turn against Christ. Nothing is gonna cause me to do that. I have you praying for me. I have the help of the spirit. I have the courage that comes from the spirit. And that I will not dishonor Christ in my body whether by life or by death. You see at this point, he's not really sure whether he's going to get out, get out of this alive or not. But he is content with either way. Amen? Amen? Everyone out there listening? He is content either way. He says whether by life or by death, he is not going to dishonor Christ. But he is going to honor Christ. And then verse 21, of course, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, what does he mean by this? Well, it might be a little bit easier to talk about what it means to die is gain because we understand that when a Christian dies, they go immediately to be with the Lord, amen? Amen. (laughs) That's our great hope is that if we are to die and we have faith and trust in Christ, that we would go and be with Christ And he is yearning for that, just like many of us. We've talked about this many times in our smaller group Bible studies that we would love for Christ to either return or we would have an opportunity to go to him because that is where our heart's desire is to to be with Christ and to experience all the good things that he has for us. But we're kind of torn because we understand that there's a place for here us here as well. There's work for us to do. And that's exactly what Paul says. He says in verse 23, he says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Amen. That is far better for us to depart and be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and what? Joy in the faith. He wants them to experience the same joy he has. He's got this unquenchable joy that whether he dies or whether he lives, he's going to be joyful. He says, I would love to go and be with Christ, but it's better for me to stay for who? Stay here for you, for your progress in the Christian faith and your joy in the faith. I don't know about you, but I, I just admire Paul immensely for the attitudes that he shows. His attitudes are so much different than many of our attitudes here today. He's willing and ready and able to go and be with Christ. But he said, I would rather stay here and help you through your Christian walk and help you to attain this great joy in Christ that I have. And I think we should learn from Paul and have an attitude like that, that yes, we would rather be with Christ in heaven right now, but that we have a purpose here, we have a joy. And that joy are those people that we can share Christ with and they will come to know him and we can work for their progress in the faith. So Paul rejoices that his flesh will not fail and that he will live on to be able to help the Philippians through their walk with Christ. Paul will rejoice also in his death, in that he has something better waiting for him, and eventually he will achieve that, right? Somewhere around 65 AD, this letter was probably written in around 62 AD, uh, Paul will die a martyr's death and go on to be with the Lord. So whether he lives, he's with Christ. Whether he dies, he's with Christ. And it's the same for us. When we live, we live to Christ. We no longer live for ourselves. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, I have been crucified. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That should be our attitude, amen? Should be our attitude, that we live for Christ. So Paul sacrifices himself to remain and continue with them for their progress and joy in the faith. Then, starting with verse 27, Paul gives some advice to the Philippians. I think he's giving advice because he's just told them that he's staying to work with them and to progress their faith. And he wants them to understand what this living for Christ looks like. And so, in verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come, and see or whether in absent I may hear that you are standing firm, one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here's some of his advice to the Philippians. Let the way you live be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Amen? <laughs> yeah, amen. <Yes>. Easy, right? <laughs> no one said it was easy. No one said it was easy. But it's not in our strength, right? It's not in our strength. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit. I heard this saying this week, and I can't remember who said it, but it applies to the situation here. And this preacher, maybe it was Wednesday night, I'm not sure. But he said, stop trying and start dying. Right? Stop trying in your own, in your own strength and die to Christ. Christ. It's what the Bible calls resting in Christ. He did everything for us. There's no, there's no work for us to do other than what we do by the grace of God and the power of God. So stop trying and start dying. In other words, all of the things that you have in your life that may be causing you to have less joy than what Christ can give, let those things go. Surrender those things over to God and you will have joy in Christ. He tells them not only to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ by dying, but stand firm in one spirit. Stand firm in one spirit. I think he's speaking to individuals, but also to churches here. We are to stand firm in one spirit. In other words, we as a church, were to stand firm for the gospel and we're to be united by one spirit. Precious fellowship that we have at Freedom Baptist Church. We don't want to lose, do we? It's worth fighting for, it's worth standing firm for. Then he says to strive side by side with one mind, strive for the faith of the gospel. In this situation, the faith of the gospel is referring to the message of the gospel. We don't want to lose that, folks. We don't want to lose that. It can be gone in one generation. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the faith of the gospel, the actual message of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He died and he rose on the third day, signifying that God found his sacrifice acceptable. And all those who place their faith and trust in Christ and repenting of their sins have eternal life. And he's gone to heaven to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back to take us to himself. That is the gospel message. It's faith and trust in Christ alone. We rest in Christ when we understand it properly. He says to strive for this side by side with each other, with one mind, one objective, to preserve the gospel and pass it on to the next generation. He says, do not be frightened by the enemies, they're only doing what God's will is in a sense, right? Even though they're our enemies just like Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, they did what was evil, but all the time God meant it for good. It's the same thing for our enemies. They may come against us. They may try to squash our message. They may try to silence us, but we should not let them interfere with us, Our message. James puts it this way. He says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials for in them God is producing steadfastness in us, right? He's molding us into the image of his son. So don't be frightened by the enemies. However, rejoice in your salvation and the suffering that we are to endure for his sake. You say suffering? Does the Bible really say that? Well, yes, it really says that. In verse 29, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's, those two things have been granted to us, that we should believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. first Christians were had a different mindset than us as well I think sometimes and you can decide whether it's biblical or not but they thought it a great privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ they understood that they couldn't add anything to the suffering that he endured on the cross but they saw it I think as a way of 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 being Uh, identified with Christ when they suffered in the same way that he did. And they saw it as a great testimony to the grace of God that they could endure through suffering. I don't know what kind of suffering we will ever have to go through. I don't know if it will be physical. I don't know if it will be pressure from the government to cave in to what we believe and maybe who knows, maybe our checking accounts will be confiscated and maybe we'll be tossed into jail. I don't know, but I know one thing. God's grace will see us through those difficult times. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And I don't want to be, mind, you know, forgetful of people who are going through difficult times right now. You know, with family members who are ill, family members who have passed away. God's grace and us hanging together as a church will get us through those diff- difficult times. So stop trying, start dying. For the Christian, we feel and experience joy when we fully understand the gospel. And we, we fully experience joy as the gospel advances. All of us feel that, right? Right? As we see the gospel going forth, we see videos of the gospel going forth in other parts of the land, we feel a sense of joy in that. But ultimately, I have to say, our greatest joy, of course, is our relationship with Christ. Knowing him, having his presence within us, having the assurance of being with him in heaven is a reason for us to have joy unspeakable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have uh, had to look at your word and to study it. And I'm sure there's much, much more that could be said about joy and other parts of your word and the Bible. And maybe we'll have time to look at those sometimes. But the message here is clear, that Satan would love to take away our joy. And he did with Paul. He tried to take it away by uh, putting him in prison. He tried to take it away by having others preaching Christ out rivalry and enviness. He tried to take it away by instilling in Paul a sense of fear that he might somehow bring dishonor to Christ. And he ultimately tried to instill fear by threatening death to Paul. But there's an answer to each one of those to where it shows that Christ is victorious over those. And so help us during these difficult times to always focus upon Christ and his love for us, his steadfastness to us. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And his plan is ultimately that we be forever with him in heaven. Help us to come back to this each time we feel discouragement or a lack of joy. And help our joy to be... Evident to everyone around us. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.